Our session for uh, January the uh, 31st, next Thursday, is a very good one, an interesting one. It's entitled, Elon Musk, President of Mars. So it's far out, right? It's out in space. Uh, who owns outer space? Could Elon Musk become President of Mars? How would one negotiate a treaty with aliens? Space is coming a very busy place with 90 orbital launches occurring in 2017 alone, et cetera, et cetera. So who's going to talk about that? Well, some of you will be familiar with Dr. Uh, Michael Byers. He's been a speaker here several times and is well known to uh, Lethbridge residents. Uh, he's been a fellow of uh, Jesus College at Oxford, professor of law at Duke, and I believe he's currently at UBC, right? I think that's where he is now. Anyway, he's well qualified, and this will be interesting because far out, man. And interesting, uh, there's a special uh, SACBOS session that's going to be at the West Entrance, be at uh, the University of Lethbridge uh, from 3 to 5 on Friday, February the 1st. Uh, similar topic, and uh, it'll be Dr. Uh, Byers again. So that will be uh, our uh, agenda for next week. <coughs> Elon Musk, that's right. Okay, I tried to get that right. All right, so it's time to begin our uh, Q&A session. And uh, we would ask you, the microphone is right over there. Uh, you get ready with your questions. Uh, Sandra is ready to start answering. If she doesn't get tangled up in all our wires, we're good. Uh, so you know the drill, keep your questions, uh, keep your comments brief and uh, your question to the point. And uh, once you've asked your question, we would ask you that you sit down so to allow for other people to come. All right, thank you. Okay, Michael. Michael Cormican here. Now, I, oh, sorry. I have been uh, the uh, chair of uh, Friends of Medicare and I've been on the uh, board for a number of years on the uh, provincial board as well. And last Saturday uh, for another group, I had um, a couple of pharmacists in talking on this very thing and they were taking the opposite stance. And uh, what I like is that we need to know both Sides. I want people to be as educated as possible if they're making decisions and pushing for, so, uh, for something. Now, those two pharmacists, and I don't know, I didn't see them here, either of them here today, but they are local pharmacists, uh, one retired and the other not retired. They have a stake in it. And they were, as I said, taking the opposite stance. And this is just an observation, but I think it's something that we need to have or keep in mind. You seem to give super facts there about why we should have it. And I tend to agree that with myself. I have for a long time. But they felt that people, most people, uh, if not all, are covered in some way or another. Just to make that remark. 
they also like the idea of copay. And I know when I get my own medications, and I'm on uh, about three or four different uh, prescription drugs, I only have to pay so much. And obviously, I'm able to do it. And I can imagine that some people might not be able to. I was just signing checks for the Legion before I came here. And uh, the secretary said to me, uh, where you, I said, I've, I've got to get going. I've got to get to this luncheon. Oh, well, uh, and she told me her own situation briefly. And it was that um, she had to have medication that cost 720 or 760 something dollars. She said it was a matter of life or death. And it was only four pills that she was getting for that much. And as a secretary, I'm sure she does not make that much money. So these are things, I just wanted to throw them out there, have your observations on them. Thank you. Thank you, Ashley. That's a really good question. And, and that's definitely one of the questions that we get asked. Um, and some, some of the conversations that are being had is about um, that group of people. Um, Two-thirds of uh, Canadians are actually covered by some kind of plan, and, and that's true. So the pharmacists were, were uh, accurate in that statement. Um, but some of the conversations that are currently being had at the federal level is that they just want to see a plan that covers the 10% that are not covered. What we're saying, though, is that, um, that uh, we want to see a, a plan that is universal, that covers absolutely everybody, that doesn't leave anybody out. And um, the co-payments, that issue I have addressed in terms of uh, being cost prohibiting for quite a few people, even if they do have uh, work plans. Um, we get to table all over Alberta at different uh, union events, at different community events, and we hear quite often, um, even at AUP, for example, we were just there in October, um, where you would think that provincial employees actually have a really good coverage plan. But we hear from people, for example, a, a lady that is a, 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 an admin secretary in, in a government office whose husband has Crohn's disease who needs a medication that is incredibly expensive per month, and after her 80% coverage, they still have to pay 4000 a month, right? And so it's for people like that. You, you can't rely on work plans, like I said, because sometimes the co-payments and deductibles are just too high for people to pay. And so, you know, when we're talking to pharmacists, we're, we're telling them, your, your uh, business is not going to be... Uh, um, impacted in terms of profits because the drugs will still be there. You'll still be selling them. You know, they have concerns about sometimes the, the, um, the money that people pay for bubbling their medication. Sometimes in, across Alberta, pharmacists have contracts with seniors' homes where they deliver the drugs, and that, that's an extra cost to the seniors. You know, so there's all kinds of things, but in terms of the universality and the reason why we don't want a 10% uh, just stop gap payment, which is what uh, Morneau had actually talked about initially, um, is that we want to see a universal program that covers everybody with the same kind of um, values of our Canada Health Act. Okay, next question. Uh, <clears throat> my name is Kathleen Clements, and uh, I have a husband who's on a great deal of medication. He uh, He's on probably the same medication as your lady with the uh, the Crohn's disease, Remicade, which uh, 
for him, he has to be on it every six weeks. And I, I'm not sure, but I think it costs about between seven and eight thousand dollars every six weeks. Right. Now we seem to be covered with that with Blue Cross, so I'm a little unsure why she doesn't have it under Blue Cross. And that leads me to my one question: was can you explain or clarify the difference between Alberta Health? and Blue Cross. One is owned by the other, is it not, or run by the other, but it, they're not it, the same. Yeah, they're not the same, definitely. I, I think uh, Blue Cross was actually set up by uh, um, a government a long time ago uh, to administer the, the drug plans that uh, Albertans are, are actually uh, receiving under the public plans that I talked about, the 23 plans. Um, but. And yet it's another reason why we, we think that we need to have a, a better way of administering uh, our pharmacare program. Th those details are still not kind of ironed out, but the difference between Alberta Health um, uh, and, um, and how plants are administered is Blue Cross is, is kind of the, the administration of all these drug plants. Alberta Health is, is the government um, part of, of the ministry actually that sets the policies and what is covered and what is not covered, and Blue Cross just basically admin or uh, yeah it, it administrates that that funding, and so it's the same thing as Alberta Health and Alberta Health Services, right? Policy and delivery, and with Blue Cross's policy and administration of our public drug plans, and then they also sell privately. Uh, on the side to people that are not necessarily working for the government, but that want to have some level of coverage as well. So it has grown in, in size and it has grown definitely in, in what they cover and don't cover and, and, and the expansion of what insurance companies are always looking for is what else can they cover, right? I, know, I, I don't know if you've seen, there's a lot of uh, advertisement on TV about getting insurance for home care and, and all these other extra things that you might need down the road, but, but definitely um, there's a, definitely a market for the insurance companies when it comes to health care, and it's a profitable market, unfortunately. Hi, <clears throat> my name is Pat Chizik, and I was taking notes as you were speaking, so if I got my information wrong, it's because I was writing them down wrong. You had said that Canada pays the highest for generic and the second highest for name brand drugs in the world. Why? Why is it that high? And I mean, I realize that we are such a small population that drug companies really don't pay attention to us that much. Yeah. Is there a reason why, though, that we are paying the second highest and the highest? That's an excellent question, and I'm glad you brought it up. Um, the reason why we do that is because provincially, uh, provinces negotiate their, their drug prices separately, and it's done in secret. So no province knows exactly what one province is paying for the exact same drugs, and, and what a better way to, for pharmaceutical companies to do bargaining, right? Because they don't know, um, they don't know what is being paid for, or, or you know, if there's any benefits or cuts that are, and then, and then of course you have government's priorities, like in Alberta, um, dealing with Hep C was a huge priority last year, and dealing with medication that will address uh, um, ocular kind of deterioration was another priority. So sometimes those, those priorities increase the price, 
but because the negotiation is done in such a way that provinces don't know from one end to the other what is being negotiated, is that we see uncontrolled prices of, of drugs. And um, there was just actually an article not too long ago from, uh, actually a couple of days ago, by, a comp uh, by the, um, the uh, Price Review Board, the Canada Price Review Board that kind of sets the prices, they don't usually take people um, and, and try and investigate them. But there's a drug company that is, is uh, selling a, a genetic drug, or oh, sorry, uh, a drug for a genetic disorder that is very rare. But um, it increased 65% over the last year, from 5,000 a year to 350,000 per year, um, only because they added a new coating to this drug, right? And they changed the color of the drug. So there's, like I said, the pharmaceutical industry has a lot of clout, and they also definitely have a lot of control over what is in the market and what is not. So a, a national pharmacare would definitely address some of those issues in terms of price gouging and, and, uh, and arbitrary price setting. Hi, Sandra. Henning Mundell here. Um, you mentioned Morneau before. Um, so when Jagmeet Singh was uh, elected as leader of the NDP, he came out with a, a platform at the, at the convention, Pharmacare. We're going to introduce Pharmacare, free Pharmacare, free medication for all. After that, Morneau raised Pharmacare, and I know it was a different version. At this stage, to your knowledge, what are the main differences between the NDP stance on Pharmacare federally and the Liberal stance on Pharmacare? The NDP actually has had a Pharmacare uh, in their platform for quite some time, even before saying, I, I think it was uh, when Mulcair and Ashley, there was conversations with Jack Layton as well, but um, it, it, the, the conversation hasn't gone around exactly as to how to fund it, because uh, Jagmeet Singh had some ideas that, we, that maybe we should be looking at offshore uh, tax havens to, to cover the thing, and, and that's not sustainable. <laughs> So definitely we need to kind of address the tax havens, but we need a, a bit of more of a plan. Um, I don't really know where that is. I know that provincially the NDP uh, in various provinces has pushed as part of their platform um, to have an NDP. And the NDP here in Alberta uh, passed a resolution saying that they would support and, and encourage a, a pharmacare program if, if it was implemented federally. So that's a good sign. The Liberals actually have gone back and forth uh, on this. Right now, they're very much, like Trudeau, if he wants to make a name for himself, this would be the best opportunity, I think, that he would have to make history. This would be the first time that we have seen an expansion of our public health care since its, its uh, inception. So in a lot of ways, you know, you have Morneau, who, well, we all know who's, who's very much on the side of, uh, unfortunately, sometimes of corporations and his friends, because he is who he is. But then you have people like Hoskins, who truly, we were very excited when we heard that Hoskins was going to lead this implementation team, because for the longest time, when he was the federal minister of, of uh, health in Ontario, he was very much in support and actively uh, pushing for a pharma care program in Ontario and um, in Canada. So I think the real test will be when this, this uh, report is, is uh, tabled in the spring of 2019. 
and the liberals, federal uh, liberals actually passed a motion on pharmacare as one of their first priority areas in their AGM that just happened in Nova Scotia in the summer. So the political will is there. We just need to see that, that this national pharmacare program is what we want to see reflected after all the consultations, after all the reports um, that have shown that this is something that we need. We don't need any more studies. This matter has been studied to death and we just need action. Hi, my name is Alan Friesen. I'm an employee benefit specialist, so I work with employers all the time. And I can tell you that employers would be happy for a national pharmacare program yeah. because the cost that they're putting towards those would shift over away from them. So they'd be supportive of that, right? So that might be an ally to make this happen. I was on the Canadian Health Council 25 years ago, and a national drug program was high on the agenda. We've got to make this happen. 25 years ago. Nothing's changed. I think it's a great idea, and I think employers would be supportive of it as well. And if I could just add some context about Blue Cross. The question came up about the Blue Cross. I'm, I'm with Silverberg Group now, but for 26 years I was employed with Alberta Blue Cross. And Alberta Blue Cross, great, great organization, but when you're talking about cutting out efficiencies and making things way better, for every, overall, for every dollar that they use or they collect, they pay out 94 cents directly in claims. So they're operating on a 6% margin to deliver drugs and other health services. So they're pretty tight, they're pretty lean already. And if you don't know this, Blue Cross is also a not-for-profit, so they got no profit margin built into their stuff. Yeah. And back to your gal that had the 4,000 a month, she's out still out of pocket, Blue Cross non-group, funded by the provincial government, delivered by Alberta Blue Cross, would certainly meet that need, and she's guaranteed to get that coverage, right? Yeah. So, yeah. thank you. But I you think know, it's a great idea, I want to make it happen, thanks. No, thank you so much, and I'm, I'm so glad that you added that feedback, because it is important. And you're right, um, and um, the $9 billion that I was talking about actually is from, from uh, th that we would be saving is from, if you look at all the work plans that we have, uh, and employers are very much in support, at least the ones that we, we actually participated in the, uh, in the provincial consultation when the uh, advisory council came to uh, Alberta. They only had one town hall meeting. And at the table that I was at, actually we had all kinds of uh, plan administrators from the city of Calgary, the city of Edmonton. And again, they, they saw um, a need for this, not only because um, I think sometimes private plans will will we'll not take a gamble on inexpensive drugs, but if it's included in a public plan, then they can't make those changes uh, quite as lightly as they can in a private plan. So, but, but again, thank you so much for your input. That was very important. Thank you for your presentation, Sandra. Mary Shillington, a committed NDPer, and I was in the hospital when Medicare came in. Uh, almost didn't get my surgery, but it happened. <laughs> Uh, so I'm totally in favor of pharmacare, and I'm wondering how to interpret that the maritime premiers are all in favor. What, what could they be doing? Uh, could some provinces band together and have a pharmacare uh, program? Or what's your reaction? Like, how can, how can we uh, d make sure that some of this happens? You know, I think it was it was significant um, because uh, if you look at, at, at what is happening in the Maritimes in terms of overall health funding, it, it is an issue for the Maritime provinces when when they don't get enough uh, federal transfers for to for them to deliver services for their people. So. Um, Healthcare is, is a, a, a provincial jurisdiction, and we get told that all the time. 
Um, so the fact that provinces are behind a federal program and will push the federal government to, to actually um, implement a program is is uh, quite significant. You have to remember when Medicare, you were probably in the house, but when Medicare came in, it was a fight. It was Saskatchewan who led the fight. It was one province and not everybody was on board. And, and so this is the same thing. We know for a fact that uh, Ontario, uh, might we might have a, a hard time in getting Ontario to buy in under um, Premier Ford, right? Um, and they canceled the, uh, the kinder care, pharma care program, that's what they called it, you know, where they were covering 18 to, uh, eight, from, from birth to 18, and, and they canceled that as soon as they became uh, government, and that was just a, a plan that was uh, implemented by the Liberals very uh, shortly before the, the election. So it's gonna be a buy-in. And, and with our provincial government, we've had back and forth. Right now they're in full support of it, but there was a point where, um, you know, when Minister Hoffman went to, uh, um, to the premier's uh, meetings, she had indicated that unless we built a pipeline that we couldn't get a pharmacare program because money doesn't grow on trees. For us, that's, that's uh, you know, we wanna make sure that whoever is in government is actually from Alberta is going to implement or push for that to happen. And that's, that's where we're encouraging people to actually make sure. We're very happy now that they have a resolution that supports it. We need to make a, you know, a commitment from the UCP, from the Alberta Liberals, from absolutely everybody that they will stand in, in solidarity with the rest of the premiers. So, those, those, that's the only reason why I'm interpreting that as a, as a win, is because we have at least a buy-in of the Atlantic premiers right now. And that's liberals, conservatives, in, hand in hand, so it's encouraging. Thank you very much, Sandra, for coming down to Lethbridge. I'm Bev <laughs> Mundell Atherstone. Uh, I'd like to, for you to put together as many figures as you can for us to get a picture of what money we would have on hand to pay for Medicare right now, and what it would cost. Now you talked about nine billion savings, and then you talked a little bit earlier in your talk about how much was lost on people not being able to pay for their diabetes medication and then having to go to hospital and so on. I think it was around 60 billion. So if we put in a Medicare system that was federal, right across the board, what would it cost on an annual rate? And then how much could hospitals and so on save? And I'm also wondering if you have any figures on what would be saved if we had a federal negotiated pharmacare instead of provincial. Thank you. Oh, that's a that's a really numbery question. <laughs> so right now we're spending about twenty point four uh, billion on on drugs, and uh, so when you when you consider how much money would be saved in in just the amount of money that we would actually be saving because of the bargaining with lower drugs and and so forth, um, you know we. We, we would start cutting that 24 point billion quite significantly. For us to get a pharmacare program, it, we would need a, a, an investment of about 16.4 billion right now. 
Um, that's how, how much it has been. Um, the parliamentary budget officer foresees as that. But that translates into about a 2% new funding by the federal government. And like I said before, that 2% would be a bucket in the water um, when it comes to how much money. And then we would be, so in, in terms of saving down the road, there's quite a few numbers that have actually been, been giving out. If you look at, at a report that was done by the uh, Canadian uh, Centre for Policy, they actually, and, and uh, college or doctors for Medicare, they looked not only at the, at the 16 billion, from 11 to 16 billion saving that we would see from that uh, 9 billion, um, um, and then the, for employers and 7.1 billion for household uh, savings, they also looked at the social determinants of health and how much money that would save down the road in terms of not only days of, of, of work that you miss because you can't afford your medication or because you're sick because you can't afford your medication, but also unnecess unnecessary hospitalizations and <coughs> all kinds of other things that could be saved. You know, like I said, a poverty reduction program and all those things downstream or upstream. And, um, and, that, and that amount was huge. It was like over 300. So, but right now we're going with a number of, of about $16 billion just, just to look at uh, what the numbers that the parliamentary budget officers uh, was able to come down. So we, you know, right now we won't see the benefits, financial benefits right away. It will be an investment that the federal government needs to make. But again, um, what we're saying is that, so how do you quantify a human life? Um, and, and really, how do you make our system better, not only for us right now, but how do we make it better for our children and the future seniors that we will have to deal with in our families and communities? And so, you know, we're saying that it's, it's an investment that's worth making. I don't think, um, it's not an unrealistic amount of money. It's, it's been, like I said, studied to no end, to no degree. Like, there, there's no need for any, the numbers are in, um, and we, we, um, there's nothing to stop us from actually getting a national pharmacare program at this point. I'm actually kind of excited. <laughs> Hi, Sandra, it's Leona Jacobs. I have two curiosities, so these are not necessarily hard-hitting questions. Um, you talked earlier in response to another question about the NDP and liberals relative to their pharmacare, um, but there are some other parties happening, so namely the conservatives. Where do they sit on the issue of pharmacare, federal conservatives? Um, and the second curiosity I have is the, is the sort of breakdown between generic and non-generic drugs, because one of the very first activist things I did was a protest against the lengthening of the copyright for, well, I guess it's uh, intellectual property of, of uh, research drugs, or the, the non-generic drugs. So where does that fall? Like, how does that factor into this piece of the puzzle? I'm so glad you asked that question. Thank you so much. Um, the, the federal uh, PCs are, are we do a lot of lobbying, and again, in January, at the, next week, we're actually going to be in Ottawa again lobbying the MPs. So we have actually met with the majority of the, the Alberta MPs uh, now, uh, and their biggest question is, who's going to pay for it, and how much is it going to cost? 
We have managed to uh, confirm some uh, commitment by some MPs, but again, it, it remains to be seen how they vote in the House when the actual thing comes down, right? We haven't had any kind of formal uh, public stance on a pharmacare program right now. They're being very cautious about it. Um, we don't even know if they plan to include that in a platform, if they're gonna have a platform federally. And I think when we've met with the MLAs here, the conservative MLAs as well, um, we don't get any kind of sense of, of yes, this would be a great idea. It's always about the money and the cost and, and, and so forth. So it remains to be seen. And secondly, your other question is, is a great question because a lot of people don't make the connection on, on trade agreements and the impact that they have on our ability to have free access to generic drugs. Canada just signed a, a major trade deal um, and which we had some concerns about because of the fact that it, expended, it extended the uh, patents to these drugs, right, from 20 uh, to 20 years. And, um, and usually drug companies can't start making generics from about 10 years after the drug has been on, in the market, so that's gonna be extended. So we won't be able to see uh, any kind of generics moving any faster than what we've seen so far. But one thing that is, is, is okay in a lot of ways is that, if that if that there is a national emergency, then the government can actually um, challenge those patents and actually be able to get access to making those generics sooner than that. The thing that concerns us the most though is that they actually extended under this trade agreement the data protection. And the data protection um, basically means that the drug companies have access to all the data that they And without us as Canadians or consumers of these drugs, not having that information. And so in a lot of ways, that connection needs to be made by the people that are making uh, policy. market but it unfortunately it wasn't recognized we had actually made a presentation at the parliamentary uh, um, hearings on on trade um, but again it didn't go anywhere and and unfortunately this trade deal was signed um, without any kind of real look at how uh, it would impact uh, our drugs okay so this will you. be the last question Thank you, Ian Hurdle. I think you were preaching to the choir because <laughs> I don't know how many people in the audience use prescriptions, but I think it's substantial. I'm actually in favor of the Pharmacare for two reasons. One is you have a big negotiating stick if it's national, but actually of more concern to me if you'll have a surveillance of new drugs and they'll actually figure out the problems much more quickly. My ethical dilemma is you have an inborn air metabolism drug that costs a million dollars a year, and that represents about 20% of the joint replacements done in Lethbridge a year. How do we balance that out? Because uh, I think people want their joints and somebody wants to protect their child. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Hurst. I'm sorry, I wasn't clear on your question.
Okay, that's actually, you know, that's a, a really good question that um, almost all the patient groups who have rare disease in them actually uh, um, pose as part of, the, of their concern about a, a drug plan, a public drug plan. But what we're saying is that um, we, it, this, a national pharmacare program actually uh, calls to task quite a few things, right? The actual implementation will be done by people that have much more knowledge about policy and, and, and you know, program development and so forth. But um, it calls into uh, the, ta the table uh, the responsibilities that physicians have towards their patients in terms of um, efficacy and safety of drugs, uh, prescribing practices, and, um, and so forth. So uh, I think finding that balance is going to be one of the trickiest part of, of making sure that everybody's covered. Um, because again, uh, you know, the, the testing or the, uh, or the results of the effectiveness of these drugs takes forever because there's not enough people that actually make use of those expensive drugs to be able to formulate uh, another, uh, you know, another type of drug that has a similar effect. So um, it's definitely a, a cost that has to be mitigated somehow and is, is, a, is a, a need that has to be mitigated into this program. And I don't have an answer for you in that sense, but um, it's definitely something that we're asking for them to consider because we don't want a program that leaves anybody out or that we don't um, have coverage for people that unfortunately have to use those expensive drugs for now um, to stay alive. So thank you for your very difficult question. Thank you, Sandra, and uh, thank you, everyone, for coming. See you next week.